We continue our study in Luke, in chapter 15 of Luke. You'll find it if you want to follow along in the book that's in the pew or the chair. 874, page 874. We'll be reading the whole chapter. You'll see the context that Jesus was receiving and eating with tax collectors and sinners, and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling about it. And then Jesus pronounces three parables. All three are to be taken together. All three are in response to the grumbling of the Pharisees. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, 
Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, his son of, but when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and he is and is alive. He was lost and is found. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, open up our hearts to see your heart, Lord, your heart for the lost, that it may be our heart for the lost. We ask this for Jesus' glory. Amen. So we were keeping years ago Anna Kate's little tiny dog named Bebe. Put him in the backyard. It's completely fenced in. How did he do it? He got out of the yard. We're just worried sick. We go looking for him. We can't find him anywhere. We're like a block and a half away from Berry, and we're like a block away from university. Very dangerous place. Couldn't find him. We put signs up everywhere. This was on a Tuesday. Wednesday, nothing. Thursday, nothing. Friday, we get the phone call. I have your dog. Who, how, what? This guy drove a beer truck. And he was at King's Liquor on Berry, saw Bebe running around in the parking lot like he owned the place, knew he was in a dangerous place, picked him up, took him home to Keller. Yes, Tuesday night, our dog was in Keller in one night. So he brings him back on Sunday Bebe is restored, and it's hard to describe, isn't it, that happiness that you have when something you lost is found. Each one of you have stories, right? A a diamond out of a ring or the whole ring or a wallet or a pet or a child. Yeah, we all have that one, many of us, right? Lost and found. In the first two parables... Ten times he uses some form of that word, lost and found. And then it picks up intensity. There's one in a hundred, then one in ten, then one in two. And in the last parable, the father cries out, My son was dead, now he's alive, he was lost and found. And it's repeated again, he's lost and found. This introduces us to this glorious concept, the purpose of God in lost and found. We could say that God's central purpose in this world is lost and found. Because later in Luke, Jesus says of his whole mission uh, sent by God, sent by the Father, the whole reason he took upon himself flesh and walked on this earth, he says, to seek and save that which is lost. Everything is lost and found. It's the meaning of history. 
It shapes and governs our history from beginning to end. It's the meaning of the Bible. We see mankind lost in Genesis 3. And the whole rest of the Bible is about finding him and restoring him. We saw on Friday evening a week ago as we studied Revelation that lost and found that, that in heaven it's a celebration of lost and found. It's the celebration of the Redeemer who has found people from every tribe and tongue and nation. So lost and found shapes the very celebration of heaven that will continue forever. Pretty fascinating that this joy of losing something and finding it was basically God's main idea in creating the world. So that as a result of everything he created, eternity will be a celebration of lost and found. It's the purpose of God. You see, for God, unlike Kroger, lost and found is not just a small part of the service department. It's the main point of the store. It's on every aisle. It's on every shelf. It's why the store is there, lost and found. Lost and found may be an afterthought for you and me. It is not an afterthought for God. But how do you and I enter into this purpose of God in lost and found? Well, we do so by entering into the joy of lost and found, the joy of God in lost and found. You see, everything in these parables is weighted toward that joy. Kids, if you're seesawing with your older brother and sister, you know what it's like. You know, you keep trying to push up and it always falls down and you're always, you know, getting hurt because you're flying off on this end. Well, everything in this parable is weighted toward this joy. It flows. It's about this joy. This whole verses four and six, for instance, are it's just one sentence in the original language. And the whole point is the resulting joy over finding the sheep. It has this feel. Uh, Jesus is saying, now, if you had a hundred sheep and you lost one, you would go and find it and you'd bring it back rejoicing and you'd invite everybody to join you in, its jo- in the joy of it. And you know what? That's the joy of heaven over one of these sinners repenting. And it strikes me as a little odd, wide paraphrase here, that I'm involved in drawing these sinners so that they can hear about the kingdom of God in the hope that they may find, repent, and come to God. And I'll start more parties in heaven, but you're grumbling about it. That's the feel. Then he repeats it to underscore how important. This time with a woman and a coin. And then this story of the younger son is basically an illustration. A widening exposition, if you want, of verses 7 and 10. This joy of heaven, this joy of heaven, let me describe it more completely. Of what repentance looks like. And the celebration that is begun by God. 
and it ends right where it begins, though it's not quite as obvious. The Pharisees are grumbling, and they won't enter into Christ's joy, and it ends up the father is addressing the elder brother, asking, are you going to come in or not? Are you going to enter this joy or not? That's what all of this is about. It's not really the parable of the prodigal son. It's the parable of two responses to the lost. Neglect, carelessness, or joy in seeking. Which one will it be? Which one will it be? And you see, since the Father rejoices over each one of us, this is where it begins. We follow him and we rejoice in each other. Look around you. Each one of us is lost and found. Each one of you has returned. The father has run down the road. And unlike the elder brother, we have run down the road with him. And we crowd around you with him. We jump up and down like you just won the game with a three-pointer. That's our joy. You're here. You're one. You're back. We rejoice over each other. We're all lost and found in here. Our worship is centered on this. We're the lost who've been found and now we rejoice in being found. We rejoice in this gracious God who found us. We could have a sign up over the entrance of the sanctuary. The joy of the lost and found. That's who we are. That's what we celebrate. This is the joy of the lost and found. And you see, when the Father's love keeps filling our hearts, and when the Father's joy keeps healing our painful, ingrown toenail of a soul, and we begin to stick our little toe in the water of the joy of lost and found, Having seen his joy over you, you begin to have joy for others. His passion to seek and save the lost catches fire in your heart. And you want to seek and save the lost. You become a part of the multinational coalition of lost and found that is making war on the dark empire. Or... You're standing outside with the Pharisees. And it just keeps flowing. We rejoice in others coming, more and more coming. We rejoice in the hope of more coming. So we keep seeking them and finding them and bringing them and rejoicing over them. And if there's a sign coming in that says the joy of the lost and found, there will be. A sign when we leave saying the joy of finding the lost. Or else you can just wipe out that sign coming in here. Because what we're doing is a fake. It's a sham. We're not really rejoicing in this God who seeks sinners. We don't like that God. We don't want that God. We don't want to follow that God. We don't want to be like that God. We don't want to have a character. We don't want to have the sacrifice of that God. We're Pharisees standing in uh, on the outside. But this joy, this entering into this purpose means entering into this joy. But that means entering into the compassion 
You see what it says? The father saw him and he had compassion and that fueled his joy, right? Why did he embrace him and kiss him? Because of his compassion. Love is full of joy for the lost. How else could the father have such joy over this son who had openly shamed him and snubbed him and abandoned him, despised him, refused him, ridiculed him? And at first, the son has this whole confession. He, he doesn't even get to his confession because at first he's smothered with kisses and embrace. And then when he starts his confession, he doesn't get to the hired servant part. It's like, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Bring the robe and ring and sandals. Bring out the most expensive beef. Don't spare any, any cost at all. Don't spare any trouble. Start the celebration. It's my son. He calls him. My son was lost. Now he's found. There's full restoration, full honor. This one who had slandered him and abandoned him, the father allows himself to be shamed. He shames himself in order to embrace his son. That's compassion that issues in joy. And so the elder brother's problem was, of course, he had no compassion for his brother. He had only contempt. It's the father's compassion versus the elder brother's anger. He physically distances himself from the family and his role as an elder son where he should be the host inside. He refuses to go in. He's not going to share the meal. He's not going to support his father. He despises his father and rejects his father's love. He despises the way his father loves his brother. He mocks the father's attitude because he doesn't realize his own need of mercy. You know, that's the problem. He doesn't even see his own need of mercy. That he's the recipient of grace. God's action is always gracious. It's never deserved. And so this obedient son is actually disobedient to the heart of the father. Stands against the heart of the father. Even speaks of, you didn't give me a goat so I could celebrate. Not with his family, with my friends. In that culture, that is a slam. So the younger brother feels fortunate to be a servant. He came, I will even be a servant. The elder brother resents it. He sees his relationship as a servant, not acting out of love. He's already alienated. He won't address him as father. He won't receive the younger brother. He says, this son of yours, this one. And he's complaining while the party is going on. (laughs) That can really be us. We'll explore it a little bit more in a minute. But complaining, withholding while the party is going on in heaven. For the lost being found. And isn't it wonderful that the father... 
just as he embraced the younger son, he comes out of the party, shames himself again. He should be the host, but he, you know, excuse me, I got to go outside, got to talk to my... And he seeks to bring him in. He seeks to bring in the Pharisees, to call the Pharisees, come in, come into the party, come into the celebration. You see, Christ is showing that lost coins and sheep are so prized that great energy is expended to recover them. How people react to the loss of something that is precious to them, this urgency and desire and straining and dissatisfaction until they find what is lost. It is consuming. Compassion makes people precious to us. You'll not give up time and money and energy and prayer and reputation and comfort and personal pleasures without compassion, which issues in joy. You see, the Pharisees kept people at arm's length. You... They would not even teach sinners the law because you'd have to associate with sinners to do so. Unclean. So maybe our problem is not unclean, but what's my version of it? What's your version of it? I tell you what it is in you and me. It's some version of worthless. It's some version of worthless. You see a dirty penny under a sewer in our day, you're not going to be lifting that heavy thing and getting somebody else to help you and finally get it off. You know, it weighs, what, 80 pounds and reach down and you get all stinky and you got a penny. Just look at it and fine, that's where it's staying. You see the application. I just tremble to think that I've regarded the lost in that way. They're not worth it. Oh, if it's a million dollars, <laughs> yeah, you'd hire a crane if you had to give that thing off, right? If it's a million dollars, I'd spend tens of thousands of dollars to get that out of there. I'd take a week, a month to get it out of there. So what are they to us? One writer said, evangelism is grounded in the joy of recovery. It's grounded in the joy of recovery. The prospect of recovery. See, the expectation that one might be recovered. Because they're precious. Because I have compassion. So, we want to enter into the purpose of God and enter into the joy of God and the compassion of God in lost and found. How do we do that? Where does this come from? It comes from the joy. And I play back to Philip's wonderful sermon Thursday a week ago of realizing that you're the beloved. You're the beloved. Why do we love as Jesus loved us? As Philip underscored, it's because you understand you're the beloved. It comes from seeing this picture of the Father 
And he's running for you. And he's running wildly down the the street in front of everybody, losing his dignity. Robe is flying. His face is thunderstruck with joy. And you see him weeping over you and embracing you and kissing you and crying. He's back. He's back. She's back. She's back. I have her again. I have her again. You know, is that your vision of God? Is that your vision of his joy over you? As he came running out for you? It comes from seeing the shepherd and the woman. These are two more pictures of the father. Of Christ himself, I came to seek and save that which is lost. Seeing this, looking and seeking, going to whatever lengths he must in order to gain back what is lost. In order to get you back. And we know as the gospel unfolds, it meant that he would even go to the cross to get you back. He would even stand in the way and bear your sin under the wrath of God that he might have you back. As the writer of Hebrews says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's the joy of doing the Father's will. What was the Father's will? That he not lose any that the Father had given him. The joy of having us. Therefore, he spent himself. Brothers and sisters, we must not allow anything to dampen our joy in God or to obstruct To obstruct our view of the Father's love for us. We must always see him rejoicing over us. Singing over us. Calling for the feast to begin because we are here. See him lavish all of his gifts upon us. Though we deserve nothing. As though we had never left. This is an interesting thing I learned this week. Steve shared this with me from a podcast he had heard. They have this ability to, in new ways, to study results and, and, go, and, go out and find, find out what was the reason for this. Or what, what's the connection? So what's the connection between people who evangelize and their lives? And... As some of the guys on the podcast said, you might say, well, they must associate with unbelievers a lot. They must have a lot of... High. Well, that's true, but that's not really the indicator. It's really surprising. There are people who confess their sins regularly. Sounds like people who are tender always about being lost and found. People are always grateful, always rehearsing. I don't deserve this, but I have it. I don't deserve this and I confess my sin. I'm face to face always with grace, grace, grace. And it makes me want to share that with others. That's the opposite of the Pharisees. They didn't see their need for mercy. They didn't see their need for confession. And you, you wonder, how did, the, how did the son, after that day, how did the son describe his father? How did he describe that day? And he said, I, I was coming home and, 
And, and all I was hoping for, what, what I had pictured, it, I would be his servant forever. And that's fine. Just, just I'd be alive. I'd be a servant. But he came running down the road. And he was joyful. He was happy to see me. He wants to stand on the porch just shaking his head. And then turning and going inside and sending a servant out to talk to me. He came running down the road himself and fell upon me. And he wouldn't even listen to me. He just started the celebration. And this is what it's been like to live with him. You see, we, we share out of this matrix of our joy in him. And you see, Jesus comes out to us, elder brothers and elder sisters. And he addresses, why, Darwin, are you not in the party, in the celebration? Remember, the celebration is not just the celebration, but it's the seeking that's part of the celebration, right? That's all one thing. Seeking, celebrating. Seeking, celebrating. You're not going to... Celebrate unless you want to seek. You're not going to seek unless it's a celebration. Evangelism is rooted in the joy of recovery. So maybe it's a sense of ownership in the church. One lady in a church we were in early during seminary was perturbed about all the young people coming into their church that wanted to try to do things in the church and and take a own ministries and use their gifts. And she just huffed and puffed and said, our blood is in the bricks. That was her say of, you know, this is our church. It's not your church. Maybe it's social disgust or separation. Oh, it's okay that God would save these people, but he can't expect me to invite them into my home to call them my kin, my family, my people. Surely they understand that we're different. We have different connections. We're in different circles. I mean, we can sit and worship with each other in this space, speak politely to each other, but that's as far as it goes. Oh, welcome to the Pharisee fraternity. I see you don't even need initiation. You're admitted. You see, Jesus is treating them as kin. Task electors, Pharisees, I mean, task electors, sinners, they're at table with him. They're his family. They're his people. He is forming the new community. There's intimacy in this banquet. And we are to embrace our Father's gracious will, accepting those that he accepts. If he's the Father's son, he's a brother of mine. If she's the Father's daughter, she's a sister of mine. Or do you and I say, this son of yours, this daughter of yours. Are you going to come in? Are you going to stay out? Or is it fear? Am I letting fear rule my heart instead of the peace of Christ? Am I letting fear be my evil queen that I bow down to and worship? Do I give a place to fear instead of joy? That's a bad trade. It's really a bad trade. But it's hard to give up that fear. It's hard to push into that fear. It's hard to stand up against that fear and to begin to crack the door for joy. Is it worldliness? We're so given to cares and comfort, 
As Schaefer said, personal peace and affluence. We can't spare the time and trouble in getting involved in all of those lives. Think what it would do to my schedule. Or is it plain contempt? Those liberals, those conservatives, those pacifists, those gun totters, those sexually immoral. Jesus seeks to save that which is lost, but you won't. You see, real righteousness is full of compassion. God is truly righteous. And look at his surprising mercy. You just don't expect it. It goes beyond what we would do, that's for sure. In fact, this word where it says it was fitting, it's the word for divine necessity used throughout the Bible. It's a little D-E-I in the Greek means we had to. We had to celebrate. This is God saying, I just got to. I just got to celebrate. I got to celebrate the lost. It's not what we expect. You see, self-righteousness retreats into its own religious ghetto, into its safe, moat-surrounded castle, sometimes of learning and growing. Self-righteousness can love a retreat but hates to reach out to the lost. It loves to study, but it doesn't want to show mercy. It likes to discuss Jesus, but not share Jesus or love like Jesus. So the elder brother will not and does not support his father's mission and his father's love. And Jesus addresses the Pharisees. He addresses me. He addresses you. Will you befriend those like Jesus did? Will you, while not sharing their sin, have a relationship with them that makes you available and makes you approachable so that, like with Jesus, they feel comfortable talking to you about those things? Because you have been faithful over time. You've had them in your home. You've loved them. You've served them. You've visited them. Brothers and sisters, will we despise the Father? Will we refuse to be a part of the family of this Father who seeks the lost? No. I call you no. Let it not be. Let's pursue the lost until it is found. And for any of you here who have not trusted Christ, please see this picture of God. Please see this picture. This is who God is. <laughs> not these Pharisees. That's what Jesus did. This is what God does. He runs. He seeks. He gathers you in. He wants to forgive you. He wants to have mercy on you. He wants to embrace you. Hopefully this encourages you that no matter what your condition is, return to him. Come to him. He seeks you. He wants to rejoice over you. (laughs) Give yourself up to this gracious, gracious God.